Now, if you take your Bibles, um, would you turn with me in them, first of all, to Psalm 37 in the Old Testament. I want to read just five verses from Psalm 37. Uh, it's right in the middle of your Bible, and you can find it if you just flop your Bible open. It often opens the book of Psalms. Psalm chapter 37, verses 1 to 5. Fret not yourself because of evildoers. Be not envious of wrongdoers, for they will soon fade like the grass and wither like the green herb. Trust in the Lord and do good. Dwell in the land and befriend faithfulness. Delight yourself in the Lord, and he will give you the desires of your heart. Commit your way to the Lord, trust in him, and he will act. And now over to the book of Peter, uh, near the end of your Bible. First uh, Peter chapter 1, verses 3 to 9. First Peter chapter 1, verses 3 to 9. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you, who by God's power are being guarded through faith for our salvation, ready to be revealed in the last time. In this you rejoice, though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials, so that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold that perishes though it is tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Though you have not seen him, you love him. And though you do not now see him, you believe in him and rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory, obtaining the outcome of your faith the salvation of your souls. Let's pray. Our God and Father, we thank you this morning for your word, and I pray that it would be true leaven in our souls for the bread of life. Father, I pray that as your word is opened up to us, that your hand would be upon Barry's lips and on his heart, and the months or the hours of study that he has put in and the reflection and the meditation that has benefited him will now leak out of him into our own souls and benefit us. We commit these next few minutes to you in the name of Jesus. Amen. That treasure that the Apostle Peter speaks of that is reserved and held and kept for us in heaven is God. That treasure is God himself and it is that treasure that we rejoice in and that is my aim to lead our hearts and minds in that direction this morning. I'm going to be using Psalm 37 verse 4 which Pastor Paul read just a moment ago. It's always helpful in the midst of any series that we're working through to take a break from that particular series and go to the Psalms to orient, orientate our heart to the kinds of things that we're talking about. And my subject this morning, based on Psalm 37.4, is a very simple reminder of a basic and necessary fundamental in the Christian life. A simple sermon on basic discipleship this morning based on Psalm 37.4. And it is this, that the delight of the soul in God because of his immense worth and beauty is what satisfies our own hearts and souls. 
Delight yourself in the Lord, and he will give you the desires of your heart. These past few weeks, we've been examining the Christian practice and the discipline of stewardship. The handling, stewardship is the handling of God's goods that he gives us to steward. And today I want to go upstream from those convictions, from those practices, from those circumstances in which we practice stewardship, the stream that that looks like. I want to go, I want to go upstream, which I, I use personally and I use with other people often as a, as a helpful metaphor for life, that all of the circumstances of our life and the present tense of our life, the, the way that we think, the way that we speak, the way that we act, there's something upstream of those things all the time. If you're walking by a stream, who can resist a path that, that heads upstream? You always want to see upstream. And it is true also of the human soul, that there are always things that are upstream. And that is true of the practice of stewardship as well. The life that practices and, and, and carries out stewardship comes from the soul that apprehends God as treasure. Delight yourself in the Lord, and he will give you the desires of your heart. The obedience with our earthly treasure glorifies God when it comes from our delight in God as our greatest treasure. This is the main point that I'd like to get across from Psalm 37.4 this morning. If you don't get anything else this morning, I'd like you to at least get this. That delighting in God is what glorifies God most. God is glorified by our delight in him. And it is also what satisfies us best. Let me say it again. Delighting in God is what glorifies God most. And it is also what satisfies us best. Notice that what glorifies God is not foreign to our best interest. Aren't you glad for that? The pursuit of our happiness is not sin. Sin is the pursuit of happiness where it cannot be found. But the pursuit of happiness is not in itself sin. Jonathan Edwards wrote centuries ago, no final conflict exists between God's passion to be glorified and our passion to be fulfilled. I recall this verse, Psalm 37, 4. Delight yourself in the Lord and he will give you the desires of your heart. I recall this verse gripping me as a young believer, as a young man in the Lord. And I saw in this verse a path to a life that would see the desires of my heart fulfilled. It is a verse about fulfillment of desires. And it was at a time in my life when the most of what I'd ever seen or heard of Christianity is that it was all about having our desires denied. And I saw in this verse something completely different than what I had seen and experienced and witnessed in a lot of the, a lot of the religion that I had experienced as a young man, which seemed to me all about smothering, seemed to be all about denial. And I saw in this verse, and I, I latched onto it as a young man, said, here is a path not to denial but to fulfillment, Delight yourself in the Lord, and he will give you the desires of your heart. But there is a threshold that must be crossed. It is a threshold of passing into the pursuit of God as treasure. 
something that I clearly understood from this verse. That it wasn't just the, the promise of giving all that my heart's desired, but it was the consequence of delighting in the Lord. That if I delighted in the Lord, he would grant me the desires of my heart. Now, the idea is this, very simple, that God himself is treasure. God is treasure. I'm not saying that God owns all treasure, which is also true. I'm not saying that he gives treasure, which is also true. I'm not saying that he commands all treasure this morning, which is also true. But upstream of all of those things that are true is this truth, that God himself is treasure. And in it our hearts rejoice. Though we see him not, we love him. God is real. He is real treasure. And it changes everything. God as treasure is what is upstream of all that we talk about in the Bible in stewardship. The desires of my heart are most fulfilled when God is delighted in above all else. I've learned this lifelong principle in my own life based on this verse, that when my heart is not at rest, and believe me, that's frequent. But when my heart is not at rest and when it is not content, when it is not at peace, it means that I'm trying to use the treasure that God has given me in order to secure the desires of my heart. And those desires are thwarted because I'm not delighting in God as treasure. Stewardship involves a lot of very practical instruction, which I very much enjoyed being immersed in at these last few weeks. It involves very practical living. It involves modesty. It involves simplicity. It involves self-restraint. It, it, it involves not only living within our means, but below our means in order that we can be generous, in order that we can give. But upstream from all of those things, there, there must not be merely law, that would be tragic if, if we receive all of the things that the Bible says about stewardship and simply enforce it in our own heart and mind as a law. I've been shoulder to shoulder with a lot of people in my life through the course of my years, raising a family, who's their determinant in life was indeed to be wealthy, was to have earthly treasure. And my response to that as a Christian was never, well, I, I can't do that. I can't pursue what you're pursuing. That would be law. My response to those things in my own personal life is, is not, I, I don't get to do that, is I don't have to do that. I don't have to do that in order for my heart to be content. In order for my heart to receive and obtain the things that it desires most. Delight yourself in the Lord and he will give you the desires of your heart. But upstream of our stewardship is not law, it's not the manipulation of behavior. God isn't pleased with that. He doesn't want your money. Paul says in Corinthians, if I give everything I have away, what does that profit me if I have not love? It's not institutional loyalty. We don't want your money. What we want is a life that is orientated to God as treasure. And then the practices and the disciplines and the convictions that flow downstream from that. 
upstream of all of that stewardship is the forsaking of delight and earthly treasure. That's the threshold. The forsaking of, of all the earthly treasure for God as, as real treasure. That, that resolve, that, that determination in the heart, that, that threshold. Have you, have you crossed it? Have you entered into that threshold? Do you have this comprehension, this understanding of the Christian faith in this way? Do you know the vulnerability, the risk of entering into that threshold saying, I will have God and if God is not treasure, I will have no treasure at all. And you will find real treasure. I do not believe that this verse can fail. Delight yourself in the Lord and he will give you the desires of your heart. I do not believe the word of God can fail. And I believe that this verse cannot fail. That, that is where God is treasure. When God is delighted in, the heart cannot fail to receive what it desires most. And, and that's a real significant personal discipline of the soul to examine what is it that I really want. Say, well, if I just had another $1,000 a month, I'd be happy. Well, actually, what you want is the contentment that you think you would get from another $1,000 a month. And what you'll find is when you get that, you'll be thwarted of the contentment that you thought you'd get from it. But what you really want is contentment. What you really want is satisfaction. What you really want is identity. And those things are found when we delight in God. I do not believe it, it can fail when we make God our desires, when we delight in him, and it brings to us what our hearts desire most, a sense of peace, a sense of, a sense of contentment and safety because of the worth and the beauty of God, which underlies our delight, is without end of discovery. It really is. The beauty of God, the worth of God, is without end of, of discovery. It is immense. Do you have something in your life that defines immensity for you? Do you ever think about immensity? It's a, it's a significant thing in the Christian imagination that the beauty and the worth be understood to have immensity without end. I mean, maybe if you're driving by a mountain, do you, do you think about immensity? I wonder, I wonder how many pounds that mountain weighs. That, that's immensity. If you're from the prairies, you think about the sky. That's immense. How far does it go? Or if you're on a boat, I wonder how many teaspoons of water I'm floating on. That's immensity. Or if you're at the beach, I wonder how many grains of sand my children are playing in. That's immensity. Or if you're sitting out at night and looking at the stars and saying, wow, they are without number. That's immensity. Immensity is an important part of the way that our heart is captured for the worth and the beauty of God. One of the questions that God asks his people at times to time through the scriptures, particularly in Isaiah chapter 40, is a question that is a real showstopper. It, it absolutely stumps me, and it's intended to stump God's people when God asks, to what will you compare me? To what will you compare me? Now, just stop and think about that. Oh, yeah. What, what am I going to compare God to? What am I going to put beside God and say, well, yeah, your, your, your worth and your beauty is a little bit like this. To what will you compare me? Consider where to begin even when we think about God's great worth and his beauty in which we are to delight. Where to begin? Consider even simply the Trinity. 
the Trinity, and considering God as Father, as Son, and Spirit. It is a, a doctrine of delight for us even to begin with the most basic element of how God reveals himself to us. Delight yourself in the Lord, and he will give you the desires of your heart. I want to focus on the question of how. How does one delight in the Lord? I'm prone to say that I believe that assumptions are dangerous in the church. I grew up a seventh child in a family, and a lot of assumptions were made to me that I'd been told something, or I'd been taught something, or something had been said to me. And I said, well, actually, no, Dad. You have four sons that you've taught all of those things to, but actually, I don't have a clue how to do that. A lot of assumptions were assumed about how the things that I knew how to do and the things that I had heard said. And I believe the same danger exists in the church today with those of us that have walked with the Lord for years, that we have a lot of assumptions. Well, sure, you get this. Surely you understand this. When we've never actually deliberately said it enough for people to understand. And one of the things that we need to be deliberate about is the answer to the question of how does this work? How do you delight in the Lord? Delight yourself in the Lord, and he will give you the desires of your heart. So I'll open my own heart and soul very briefly to say this is how it works. This, this is how one delights in the Lord if you've never heard it before. I've used this word already. It's the word pursue. And it's where it all begins, to pursue God. To actively, intentionally, deliberately, consistently Pursue the knowledge of God, a Proverbs 2 kind of pursuing. Seek it, desire it like silver and gold. Pursue it. You cannot delight in something of which you remain ignorant of. It's impossible. Open your Bible for the purpose that it was given to show us God. You see, the Bible doesn't work as a crisis book. The Bible is a God book. It's not an encyclopedia of problems to, to, to use and to look up our problems alphabetically. It's the revelation of the solution. It's a revelation of God. So open your Bible consistently. Pursue God. Seek the knowledge of God. Open your Bible. Keep the Lord's day. There's been a significant growth of conviction of this in my own life. Not out of law, but out of a life orientation of, of seeking God as treasure. And to be shown his great worth week after week after week. And we could sit in church for as many Lord's Days as we are given. And never plummet the depth of all that the Bible says about his beauty and his worth. And we use the word reorientation about the Lord's Day for a reason. Delight yourself in the Lord and he will give you the desires of the heart. Find people that delight in God. Mark them, recognize them and spend time with them. Proverbs 13.20 says, he who walks with the wise becomes wise. Find those that delight in the Lord. Secondly, mark the path that leads to delight. In other words, there, there's something that is actually 
uh, if, if delighting is upstream of, of stewardship, delighting in God as treasure is upstream of stewardship, the way that we handle our treasure, there's something in the soul that is even further upstream in our delight. And we need to know that path. Consider well how it is that delight enters into the heart in the first place. How do we, how do we delight in anything? How does delight happen? Delight is an affection of the heart, but how does it happen? In, in the context of this psalm, it's very clear. Delighting is the opposite of fretting. It says, fret not yourself. And then it goes on to speak about trusting in the Lord. And on both sides of the verse where it says, Can delight yourself in the Lord, it speaks of trust in the Lord. Trust in the Lord and do good, verse 3 says. Verse 5 says, commit your way to the Lord. Trust in him. Delight cannot be manufactured or manipulated. Delight is a heart responding to a well-placed trust. Let me give you a definition of the word delight, just for working purposes today. Delight is the affection of the heart, and it is. It's something that exists in the heart. It can't be, you can't say it's there if it's not there. It can't be manufactured. It's either there or it's not there. It's, a, it's an affection of the heart that is created by a well-placed trust. Trust in God is a well-placed trust. Trust and delight go together. Can you see that? Do you understand that? How, how delight follows on from experiencing trustworthiness in something. When we discover something to be trustworthy, our heart cannot help but be delight in it. You know, if you meet somebody or you, you experience trustworthiness in, in another person or, or even in a particular thing that you, it's your trusted tool, it's your trusted whatever it is, you find it to be trustworthy, you'll delight in it in a particular way. Trust and delight go together. But when my heart fails to delight in God, it invariably tells me where my real trust is, somewhere other than in God. I can't pretend to be convinced of God's trustworthiness if I am not experiencing delight in God. Delight is the evidence of a real trust in God. We delight in God when we discover him to be trustworthy. I might have all the right vocabulary about trusting in God. I might, not all, I might know all the right verses about trusting in God. But the evidence of trust is delight. And the evidences of a misplaced trust are also clear in the human character, in the human context and soul. A well-placed trust is evidenced by delight. A misplaced trust is evidenced by all kinds of things like sadness, despair, depression, anxiousness. As a young man, an image was embedded in my mind that has never, ever left me, and I'm aware of it all the time. It, it comes from Isaiah chapter 36, verse 7. And the words are, are like, uh, like this to God's people, saying of God's people that they are leaning or relying or depending upon Egypt, which God describes as a splintering reed. And it's an image that I, I, I always have in my mind. I don't know, it's just been embedded in my my thinking of, of, and I'm a little bit squeamish when it comes to blood anyway. 
And so it's, 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 it's always there. But the, the image of leaning on something, and instead of leaning on that thing uh, being supporting my weight, it being sharp, like a reed that pierces my skin. And instead of supporting me, it pierces me. I know I've made you squeamish. I'm sorry. But I am conscious. It's been a very helpful thing in my life. I'm conscious of the fact that when I am sad, when I am depressed, when I am discouraged, when I am fearful, that I'm being pierced with something that I'm leaning on that is not reliable. And I need to lean on the Lord. And leaning on the Lord is what brings me delight. Lean not on your own understanding. Trust in the Lord in all your ways, and he will make your path straight. Psalm 16, verses 8 and 9. The Lord read these earlier. Again, identifies how, how gladness and delight is evidence of a well-placed trust. It says, because he is at my right hand, I will not be shaken. That is a, a declaration of trustworthiness. God is at my right hand. I will not be shaken. Think of all the things that try to shake you. I mean, I, I, I don't know all, the, all of the context of your life, but I know this, that there are things that will shake you in your home, in your mind, in your life, in your history, in your future, in the world around us. Things that would shake us to the core if we didn't have something to lean on that wouldn't just splinter us. He is at my right hand, I will not be shaken. Therefore, my heart is glad. See? See the connection? Therefore, my heart is glad. So that is the path that we need to know that gets us to delight. Finally, I want to talk about how the Lord delights in us. Know that God delights in you. This is pivotal for me. Without it, I, I don't know that I would ever be a Christian. It is something that tipped me as a young, skeptical, uh, exploring, <laughs> religious experience, but unbeliever yet, into being a Christian. It was the possibility and the proclamation to me of God delighting in me. It is something that has sustained me all of my life, and I understand that, that when I delight in the Lord, what I am doing is I am reciprocating something that I am already receiving from God, which is unmerited, which is given freely by grace and mercy. And the pattern for that delight exists in the Trinity. It exists in God himself. God, God delights in himself. The Son delights in the Father, and the Father delights in the Son. The pattern for delight exists in God himself. The Son delights to obey the Father, and the Father delights to honor the Son. And this is the gospel. The gospel is how all of that Trinitarian delight works itself out. We are the object of God's delight. And by redeeming us and by forgiving us, the Son is delighting in the Father. Do you understand that? That when you're saved, that the, the, the Son is delighting in the Father. Read through John 17 sometime and just experience and witness the delight that there is between the Father and the Son glorifying each other. 
And we're the object of all of that. God's delight in us in order to bring or fulfill and satisfy the delight that exists in the Trinity. He redeems us. He forgives us. And the Son is delighting in the Father by making a way for us to God. And the Father is delighting in the Son by adopting us. That's what the Father is doing when he adopts us. He's delighting in the Son. All of it in the power of the Holy Spirit who is the delight of the Father and the Son to give to us in order that we would witness all of the things that God shows us. But one of the most difficult things to tell a Christian, it was difficult for me to receive, still is difficult for me to receive sometimes. One of the most difficult things to tell a Christian is that God delights in them. Why is that? Well, because we know we're not worthy. Because when, when we hear that God delights in us, when somebody so holy, so pure, so immense in his worth and beauty says, I delight in you, it uncovers our shame. But there's the gospel. Uh, that is the gospel right there, is that, that the gospel through the body and the blood of our Lord is sufficient to cover the very thing that we are aware of, which is our shame. That is the gospel of our Lord. God gives us what we do not deserve. And in Christ, to speak of trustworthiness, in Christ we, we experience the trustworthiness of God to give us what our hearts desire most, which is that acceptance, that desirability that adoption, that significance, that identity in God himself. And Christ never fails. I was in a, witnessing a prayer meeting recently with a group of men who meet in the church, and as they prayed, each of them would end with, in Jesus' name. And it's something that we do routinely, and we should do it, but there's a reason why we end our prayers in, in Jesus' name, is because it, all things have been committed into the hands of Jesus. He is the trustworthy one, and it, it is through the gospel and our experience of the trustworthiness of Christ that we find true delight in God. It is the pearl of great price that we sell everything we have in order to obtain it. Would you please pray with me? Almighty God, I pray that, that we would grasp the significant worth and beauty and the wisdom of delighting in you. I pray that you would capture our souls and as we continue along the course of considering the treasure that you give us, I pray that it would not only be with thanksgiving that we receive it, not only with wisdom, proprietary, but also with the, in the shadow of the immensity of your great worth as treasure. I pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.